And then there were four as we head into episode four of the Second Thoughts podcast. We're going to be recapping all of the series two finishes. We are going to be looking ahead to the conference finals matchups. We're also going to look ahead to the Vancouver Canucks goaltending conundrum. And this is not the first time that they've seen something like this. Uh, we'll discuss to the Ryan Reeves one game suspension for his hit on Tyler Moe. And we got to talk Nathan McKinnon. And despite the fact that he is not going on to the conference finals, he had a play playoff to remember. All that and more is coming up. Let's go. Second Thoughts Podcast, your host Kyle Grimard as we move into episode four and down to the final four teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the 2020 run for the Stanley Cup. Uh, make sure you follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as any other platform you, uh, you are looking into. Uh, there is... There's so much to get to today as uh, we look ahead to the uh, final four teams that are uh, still going for the Stanley Cup. There were some crazy finishes to the Series 2 Game 7s which took place. And uh, you know, I want to point out the fact too that at one point, all four series that were going on, a team was up three games to one. Tampa Bay finished off Boston the very next game in five. Every other series at that point went to a Game 7. Absolutely nobody, I mean, I don't think I anybody really saw that coming. Maybe you could guess one series had that opportunity to do so, but it looked like Dallas was going to cruise by in their series over Colorado. That was not the case. We're going to get to that game a little bit later on. Uh, who would have thought Vancouver... All the way to Game 7 against Vegas, getting grossly outplayed in, in virtually every game. Uh, gave them uh, gave Vegas a huge scare. And then the Isles-Philly, you, know, you never knew what could have happened. Philly's that one of those teams that just does not go away. But uh, ultimately, the New York Islanders uh, moving on. Uh, and let's start with, you know, let's start with that series because I've already gone over the, the Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, Boston Bruins series. If you want to listen to that, you can go back and listen to Episode 3 of the podcast. But you know, with the New York Islanders, you know they, uh, you know they they closed their series out with a four nothing victory over the Philadelphia Flyers. Isles were up three one in that series. Uh, Philly made a big push back and forced that game seven. Uh, notable piece of information here in game seven, the New York Islanders did not go to Simeon Varlamov. They went to uh, Thomas Grice in net. So. Uh, as this is being recorded right now, we will see who the Game 1 starter is against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But uh, very interesting call by Barry Trotz. But hey, that's why he's the best coach in the National Hockey League. decisions, And ultimately it paid off. Um, you know, it, it, things just went back to normal. You never know what happens in a Game 7. Philly looked like they had kind of figured out the way New York plays their style. And and. Whatever New York did through games, you know, one through four, uh, they went right back to it in game seven and basically just shut Philly right down. And Claude Giroux said after the game that it was incredibly frustrating and, and, and did feel like those those first few games where, you know, they couldn't really generate any offense, couldn't get anything going, couldn't, you know, sustain any pressure. And uh, ultimately that led to uh, Philly's... Uh, Philly's exit for the playoffs. Uh, I will say for Philly fans out there that, you know, this should be a, a positive note moving forward. It, you know, your core is intact for the next little bit. Your goaltender really is only getting better in Carter Hart. I just need, I think they need to, um, you know, they, they've just got to maybe add a couple extra more pieces there that, um, 
you know, will will give them that extra push. I want to say secondary scoring was was a thing that, you know, they could possibly uh, benefit from next year. But as a Philly fan, I wouldn't worry. Uh, This team is going to be just fine. This is what New York does. They suffocate you. They're a nightmare to play against. And that's why they're in the Eastern Conference Final. As for Isles fans, um, you know, this is exactly what, this is exactly what you do. You basically just crowd teams up the middle and you force them to do things that they're not they're not willing to do and and you take advantage of your opportunities at timely uh, points during the game and you did the exact same thing to Philly uh, as you guys did in the first round and this is easily going to be the toughest matchup yet against uh, Tampa Bay but uh, but New York behind uh, arguably the best coach in the NHL are, are on to the Eastern Conference Finals and and they have a tough task ahead of them I uh, I'll just say that and as we get to the the most enticing, exciting, and crazy playoff game that we have had so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, a wild 5-4 to four overtime victory for the Dallas Stars over the Colorado Avalanche as they move on to the Western Conference Finals. Um, just... There was no words for this game. I mean, it started off with... with, with uh, Dallas taking the lead, Colorado coming all the way back. I believe actually Colorado started off with the lead and Dallas had to come back. Dallas had to come back, I think, three separate times in this game. Uh, we Colorado made it 4-3. Dallas scored 10 seconds later to tie the game at four before uh, eventually that game did go to overtime. And the hero in Game 7 for the Dallas Stars, Joel Kivaranta, scoring a hat-trick in this one in just under 15 minutes of time on ice. It is the first Game 7 hat-trick in the Stanley Cup playoffs since 1993 when Wayne Gretzky was the hero for the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, This was a crazy matchup back and forth. Uh, Anton Kudobin uh, gets the start again. And, you know, he, he started off rough in this contest up a couple early goals and I just I tweeted out too I saying that Dallas for the first few games looked unbeatable they had this defensive premise to them that you know they they didn't really have uh, any trouble with in the first five games of the series and then all of a sudden Colorado started scoring in bunches and Anton Kudobin just looked vulnerable at times uh he really tightened it up after the first period he made 40 saves uh en route to the game seven victory and and what can you say about the Colorado Avalanche? Uh, their starting goaltender was hurt in in Philip Grubauer. Their backup, Pavel Francouz, was just not getting the job done. They were missing one of their best defensive defensemen in Eric Johnson. They were missing uh, Giannis Donskoy. They were also missing Tyson Jost. I mean, this team was absolutely uh, derailed by injury. Not to mention their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, was out due to the uh, cut he sustained in Game 6. Uh, just above, I believe it was the knee. And, you know, was unable to go for game seven and you know Nazem Kadri had a goal and assist in this one Vladislav Nemetsnikov had a couple of goals as uh, a couple points as well but uh, you know Nathan McKinnon was an absolute force he actually didn't get a point which was the first game in the Stanley Cup playoffs where Nathan McKinnon did not register a point uh, Colorado is going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with barring all the injuries they had if they get a legitimate starting goaltender in the offseason I mean Kale McCarr McKinnon Miko Ranton and this team is absolutely loaded and geared up for the next I want to say three to five years to really be a legitimate contender uh to be a winner of the Stanley Cup for for like I said the next five years or so but just super unfortunate that their season came to the end. If you watched at the end of the game too, you know when uh, when Dallas scored in overtime, you just they, the, immediately the camera went over to Nathan McKinnon and he just looked 
exhausted. He looked, he had absolutely no idea what to do in that matter. And he, um, poor guy, he was, he was an absolute catalyst for the team. And I just want to put his numbers into perspective here before we really get uh, deeper. But Nathan McKinnon, 15 games played, started off on a 14-game point streak, registering 25 points in those 15 games. I want to put this into perspective. Before this postseason, he had played a grand total of 25 games, and he had 29 points to show for it, which is still, by the way, unbelievable. But in these now 15 games alone, he's now played a grand total of 40 games in the playoffs. He has 54 points uh, in that time. And we'll get to McKinnon a little bit later on in the show today. But just it, it's it's a hell of an effort by hell of an effort by Colorado. And uh, listen, they're going to be a force for the next three to five years, in my opinion. They get a starting goaltender. They don't get just derailed by injuries. And uh, and, and they're, a, they're a problem in the uh, Western Conference. And then the uh, most surprising series that went to Game 7 was the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vancouver Canucks. And with Vancouver just riding Thatcher Demko's remarkable play for the for the Game 5 and Game 6. Uh, unable to do a repeat performance. And, uh, and Vegas ends up winning that one by a score of 3 to nothing. Robin Leonard gets the shutout in that game. Every single game, basically from Game 5 on, was absolutely dominated by Vegas. And even in Game 7, the fact that they won 3-0, the shots on goal in this one were 34-14 in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas was just not giving Vancouver opportunities to, to get chances on net. Brock Besser had a, had a game-high four shots, but Thatcher Demko is just... It was just remarkable. Thatcher Demko only giving up one goal on 34 shots, and the other two shots were uh, were empty netters. But what Thatcher Demko did in those three games is uh, is going to make Vancouver's decision in the offseason uh, uh, quite difficult on what they're going to do in net moving forward. Uh, but, you know, that leaves us with the conference finals for each uh, division here, and it's going to start with the Dallas Stars uh, taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I did put up a prediction on our Instagram page and Twitter pages if you want to go check them out, uh, but in this series right now, I do have Vegas over Dallas in seven. Now, as I'm recording this right now, uh, Dallas took a took a one nothing series lead with a one nothing victory, and Dallas is a lot more defensively sound than Vancouver was. I think Vancouver just wrote a hot goaltender and Vegas is going to have to figure it out, but I think over the course of a seven game series I think Vegas uh you know does find a way to get it done in seven and they return to the Stanley Cup finals uh after a year of getting eliminated by the San Jose Sharks uh and then um over to the Easter Conference it is the Tampa Bay Lightning taking on the New York Islanders I have Tampa Bay in this one in six games I do give the Islanders credit because I think they defensively um they make things challenging for Tampa but I think Tampa with everything else they've overcome and with the teams that they've played so far I don't think this is going to be a new challenge for them they've already played a team very similar to New York in the Columbus Blue Jackets they took care of them in five I think New York has a little bit more depth in that regard and I think New York is coached a little bit better, even though John Tortorella is probably, you know, one of the top three coaches in the league too. Because Tampa's already gone over Columbus, because Tampa rolled through then Boston, again, two very defensive sound teams. I think Tampa, you know, figures it out. I think New York gets a couple, but I think Tampa takes them down in uh, in six. Let me know what your predictions are, by the way, too. Uh, I posted, like I said, on our... Um, on our Instagram and Twitter page, it is at Second Thoughts P. If you want to go uh, chime in on that one, 
But, you know, we'll see what happens. It was funny. Last series, I, I made the predictions. Unfortunately, the way I started this podcast out, when I made the predictions, most of the series were already about halfway through. So, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's easy to predict when Dallas is already up 2-1, 3-1. Well, I'm doing it now, and I'm picking against Dallas, who have already won a game. So, I mean, we'll see if I'm right in this one. Uh, I think I, I lucked out. I believe I got all four of the, uh, of the last matchups correct. So, we'll see the way it goes for the next, uh, for the next four teams moving forward. But... Uh, I do want to start with the Vancouver Canucks, and you know, we, we I cannot give enough praise and 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 credit to Thatcher Demko and what he did for Vancouver. Now, I still haven't read up on anything as to what happened to uh, you know Jacob Markstrom, but you know, in, in Game Five, Vancouver last minute turned to Thatcher Demko in a game that everyone would soon remember as the game that he stole. For the Vancouver Canucks. They won 2-1. Thatcher Demko making 42 saves on 43 shots. Vancouver only mustering 17. But they found a way to squeak two by Robin Leonard. And, you know, that was the the start of, of the comeback in that series. They went on then to win uh, the next game, game six, four to nothing. And you thought Thatcher Demko was good in, in game five. He put up a 48-save shutout uh, en route to the win. I mean, Demko in the playoffs was just... I, I can't even begin to to fathom. He played in four games. He started three. In those four games that he played, he went 2-1, and one, giving up two goals. Had a goals against average of .65 and a save percentage of 9.85. Now this offseason, there were there were all kinds of rumors going around and news and the speculation involving what Vancouver is going to do with Jacob Markstrom, and they're going to have to find a way to, to to make him fit under the cap because he's an unrestricted free agent and they want to bring him back. He was the workhorse all season long. He was the guy that got them to where they were, and and ultimately, you know, by all means, I I understand what Thatcher Demko did, but this dude stood on his head when when Vancouver needed him to as well. But now. All of a sudden, Thatcher Demko does what he did, and now Vancouver's sitting over, looking like, well, well what do we do? You know, they've got a they've got a, a bit of an issue. Okay, so so Markham's, Markstrom was out with a with a groin injury. That's what it was. But you know, in, in the postseason, he started 14 games. You know, he he was eight five and one. He had a two eight five goals against nine twenty save percentage. Again, goals against is tough when your when your save percentage is nine twenty. Basically, you you're facing a lot of rubber. But before the playoffs began, you know, it was a slam dunk that Vancouver was going to re-sign Jacob Markstrom. But now there's you know there's murmurs. You know what Thatcher Demko did? There's not as much there's not as much power in Markstrom's hands anymore. To try and squeeze as much money as he can out of the Vancouver Canucks. You know, he had all the power. He had all the leverage before. But now things are going to get a little tricky for the uh, for the next month or so for the for the Canucks. And I, I got to be honest, I had a couple people asking me, you know, what do you think Vancouver's going to do? Are they going to re-sign Markstrom? Are they going to keep Demko on? And I think the biggest thing is, is you got to, you know, put into perspective that the cap is going to be flat at $81.5 million for the next, at minimum, couple of years. It is going to be... It's all about how the how Vancouver's front office feels about moving forward with Demko. 
You know, in my opinion, Vancouver has probably the deepest goaltending depth of any team in the National Hockey League as of right now. So right now, they still have um, Jakob Markstrom. They've also got Thatcher Demko. And then you have to remember, too, they have got OHL stud um, Michael DiPietro, who, you know, was a member of the, you know, Windsor Spitfires for a while. He went over to the Ottawa 67s and is a one of the top goalie prospects coming up right now. And it will be, it will be interesting to see. The biggest difference, though, like I said, is the cap. So Markstrom is probably going to command anywhere from six and a half to seven and a half, eight million dollars, I would guess, on on uh, in free agency. Thatcher Demko was signed through next year at just two point one million dollars. He signed that deal last year before the season began, and. You know, Markstrom's salary coming off the books. Vancouver's going to have room to sign guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen. Like, those are the decisions that Vancouver's going to make. I, I, I don't know if this is a bold prediction or not, but I wholeheartedly see Vancouver not re-signing Markstrom. Unless Markstrom comes at a discount, if he comes anywhere under $6 million, I think Markstrom stays with Vancouver. But if Markstrom's unwilling to do that, I honestly think they walk from him. Which is a crazy decision to make, but I also think due to the deep goaltending class that is going to hit unrestricted free agency and restricted free agency, this is a flat cap world. And Vancouver is not a team that can really that does that has the room to play with 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 cap space. They don't have it. They're not Colorado and they can't go out and spend six, seven million dollars on a goalie. And when you have a goaltender as young as Thatcher Demko, who makes as little as Thatcher Demko, and who showed you he can show up in big games, it's a tough to it's it's gonna be tough for Vancouver. I I think with with the depth too, when you have Michael DiPietro, it's a lot easier to go out and sign, you know, kind of a tandem guy at another one one and a half, two million dollars than sign than sign Markstrom at seven million dollars. When you also look at the fact that Elias Pedersen still's gotta get paid, and he is gonna get paid. When Brock Besser, I know he just signed his deal, but Quinn Hughes is a guy that's probably going to have to get paid soon. You know, and they're probably going to want to look to to add and, you know, bolster their lineup for next year to make another run. That seven, seven and a half million dollars dedicated to a goaltender takes up a lot of, of what Vancouver would want to do. So it's all it's all going to be up to the, you know, the the brass in Vancouver and 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 how they feel moving forward, and if they feel comfortable going with Thatcher Demko. But based on what he just showed you in these last three games, you know Vancouver's probably got to feel pretty good. You know this is definitely a good problem to have. Which great goaltender do we keep? Do we keep the guy that got us to the playoffs that basically carried us there, or do we keep the guy that basically dragged us from Game Five to Game Seven against a team that's favored to go to the Stanley Cup Finals? be interesting again this is not the first time Vancouver has dealt with this situation and as we saw last time it's uh it's not unfamiliar territory let's just say that uh I want to go back to the uh you know to to the Vegas side of this and in game seven Ryan Reeves forward for the Vegas Golden Knights uh was coming in was forechecking in the offensive zone and hit Vancouver Canuck Tyler Moat in a very dangerous spot. He got him in the shoulder, hit him. It looked like on the bottom of the chin or up near the throat area. 
From that point on, Ryan Reeves was issued a five-minute major in a game misconduct for the hit. Uh, afterwards, he did have a hearing and was issued a one-game suspension that carried over into the Western Conference Finals. Uh, he served it in Game 1, where Vegas won to lose 1-0, and Dallas took a 1-0 lead. Uh, this hit, across the middle, Moat's got his head down, all that's fine, but Moat gets rid of the puck, and Reeves comes in and definitely catches him high with his shoulder. Now, by all means, Ryan Reeves is an incredibly important piece to the Vegas Golden Knights. But Ryan Reeves is known to be a player that sometimes does things like this. And all he got was a one-game suspension. It wasn't like he hit him from behind. He didn't cross-check him in the head. You know, he didn't, he didn't take a swing and hit him up high. But nevertheless, this is a guy who is known... To have a bit of a past, has had some questionable hits in his, you know, in his, his recent play, and all he gets is a one-game suspension. I'm just saying, I have seen a lot less dirty hits from players who I don't think have the same reputation as Ryan Reeves that gets a lot more of a suspension in that regard. Uh, he'll be able and eligible to return for game two of that series, but... You know, I just, this is just another instance, in my opinion, where it's it's all over the place. I get it's the playoffs. I get you're trying to be physical. But, you know, this isn't the 90s. This isn't, you can't pass the puck, take four steps, and get crushed by Scott Stevens over the middle. You know, you've got to hit a guy to the point where you're not going to knock him out for a concussion. You've got to hit him low enough where it's still a clean hit. You've got to hit him early enough so it's not late and it's not interference and... I just going back and watching it hit a couple of times. I saw people being like, oh, it was his head whiplash. And, you know, he actually didn't hit him in the head. Well, yes, he did. He did get him in the head. That's why his head shot back. And, you know, Ryan Reeves escapes with a one-game suspension. It might have cost the team in game one against Dallas for sure. But I've seen a lot of other players get suspended for the duration of the playoffs or a duration of a series before for hits that are equal or less of the uh, hit that Ryan Reeves gave uh, to Tyler Moat in uh, in Game Seven, but that's just my uh, that's my two cents on it. I figured that I would uh, I'd I'd put my my thought in there just for anyone who was asking about it. And uh, you know, last thing that I do want to touch on right here is you know the playoff that Nathan McKinnon had, and I already touched on it a little bit earlier. But what Nathan McKinnon, but what Nathan McKinnon did in the 2019-2020 Stanley Cup playoffs firmly cemented himself and established himself as the number two player in the National Hockey League. Why am I going number two? Because I think recency bias is a a very real factor in this situation. Nathan McKinnon was tying records with Wayne Gretzky. Nathan McKinnon clearly showed he took his game to another gear in the postseason. He had a point in the first 14 games and finished with 25 in just 15 games. Nine goals, 16 assists, plus 13. Time on ice was like 24 minutes a game. But Nathan McKinnon firmly established himself as the number two player in the National Hockey League. And the reason I'm emphasizing number two is because I saw a lot of people, including individuals in very big markets on very big and prominent stations, 
said that Nathan McKinnon has to be the best player in the world right now. Listen, I get it. Recency bias, you know, allows us to see what, you know, is in front of us last night. And unfortunately for the number one guy, Connor McDavid was not playing in these Stanley Cup playoffs when they got eliminated by the Chicago Blackhawks in just four games. But let me remind you, in four games, Connor McDavid had five goals and four assists. And his team still was unable to move on to the second round or to the, to the uh, first round of the playoffs. Connor McDavid, it's just like you just have to go back and watch what he did in that series alone. And that will immediately remind you oh, yeah, that's why he's the best in the world. Right? Had 97 points in just 64 games. Whereas I believe Nathan McKinnon. Had 93 points in 69. Again, both, like, this is why. They're the number one and number two players. I'm not saying that McK- McK- uh, McDavid is head over heels. Like, he, the gap is that big. Like, McKinnon is, is I, I wouldn't say, like, right there. But, like he, like, he has his own numbers that he can defend himself with. But let's just not lose sight of things in the fact that Connor McDavid is the best player in the world. And is going to be the best player in the world for the next five to eight years at minimum. It's unfortunate because recency bias, you know, allowed us to go, you know, see what Nathan McKinnon could do, you know, when he was the guy. You know, he was the best player still standing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But the best player overall just wasn't playing. And I think recency bias has really allowed us to lose sight of that because... You know, Nathan McKinnon did some you know spectacular things. He put up some ridiculous numbers. But, you know, Nathan McKinnon really has only been in that threshold as like a top five player in the league. Only for the last, I want to say, three years. If you look back to his 2016-2017 season, in a full 82 games, he had 16 goals and 37 assists for 53 points. Season before, in 72 games, he had 21 goals and 31 assists for 54 points. Then in 64 games the year prior, he only managed 14 goals and 24 assists. Wasn't until the 2017-2018 season where he broke out in 74 games, he had 97 points. A year later, in a full 82, he almost ha- he almost cracked the 100-point threshold with 99. And then this past season, like I said, in a shortened season of just 69 games, he scored 93 points. You know, McKinnon still has a little bit of work to do because his career high, you know, 99 points is, is, is phenomenal. His career pace, he's still only at 400, not only, but he's, but he's at 495 points in 525 games. Up until this point, he is still not a point-per-game player. Now, he keeps playing the way he has last three years. He's going to catch it by next year. That's just the way it is. And McKinnon has come a long way from the number one overall pick to kind of being like a an okay top six guy who's probably going to get you about 50, 55 points a season. Has now established himself as the second best player in the National Hockey League. And I just don't want people to lose sight at that fact. You know, he's he, he did everything in his power. He's definitely ahead of Crosby. He's ahead of Dreisaitl. He's ahead of Austin Matthews and and Jack Eichel and whoever else you want to list in that in that top, you know, that that top five category. It's it's Nathan. It's it's uh, it's Connor McDavid, and then it's Nathan McKinnon as number two. 
and I don't think that argument really is that close. I mean, there's people again who are making that case for McKinnon, but up until this, up until he legitimately goes out of his way and proves that he is that much better than Connor McDavid, I just cannot concede it because McDavid or because McKinnon was able to play an extra 15 games. I can't do it. Uh, let's get to, you know, last thing here is some other news and uh, highlights around the other teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, report coming out of the Arizona Coyotes front as they are interviewing Sean Burke for the general manager position of the team. Uh, he is currently a scout and goaltending consultant with the Montreal Canadiens, but has a very long history with the uh, Arizona Coyotes. He was their net miner for upwards of five seasons, had worked as the club assistant coach and assistant to the GM in, uh, in prior years. He has served as general manager for Hockey Canada at the Spangler Cup for uh, 2017 and 2018 for the World Championships and in 2018 for the Olympics. Uh, he definitely has a resume that will allow him to do so. And I think a team right now who is in desperate need of finding a guy to solidify that role, I think he would be a, a good candidate. The other individual, apparently, that Arizona is talking to is, is NHL analyst Pierre Maguire. He said that an interesting name surfaced Pierre Maguire. This was uh, Sportsnet's Chris Johnston that reported it while addressing uh, Ron McLean on Saturday Night Headlines. Uh, Maguire has been a broadcaster since 1997. He's been with NBC for almost 10 years now. Uh, he originally did help hold a coaching, scouting, and executive role with several clubs, including the Pittsburgh Penguins. But... I've heard this name in quote-unquote general manager talks for, I want to say, the last couple of years. I would be blown away if Pierre Maguire was able to solidify this role. You know, P Pierre Maguire has a lot of very out-there thought processes, and he has had a lot of very different ideas in terms of players. He's one of the most detail-oriented people that we've ever had a chance of, of viewing on television. But, you know, I just think that there's a lot of other very qualified candidates right now. And Pierre Maguire, interesting name. Interesting name that uh, that has come to the table for that team. Uh, other news and rumors going around around the National Hockey League. Uh, going back to the Edmonton Oilers here. Uh, according to Oilers now host Bob Stouffer, they say that if the Oilers want to bring back Jesse Pujarvi, it's not going to be right into a top six role or minutes alongside Connor McDavid. He suggests actually that he will have to work his way up the lineup. In a quote uh, that he talked about a little bit earlier, he said, quote, he isn't going to get better playing another full season in Finland. He needs to return to North America in 2021. Uh, he needs to be prepared to grind and work his way up the lineup. Apparently, many people think Pujarvi returns. He should be handed and top line minutes with 97 right from the get-go. But just a reminder, he had 17 goals in 139 previous NHL games. Successful players have relentless work ethic and grind. In my opinion, JP can start on the third line and hopefully work his way up. So, I mean, this is this is a guy who spends a lot of time and is very close with that organization is saying that uh, apparently what the Oilers are telling Pujarvi that, you know, if he really wants to solidify himself into a top six role or have an opportunity to play alongside Connor McDavid, he is going to have to come over, learn from what he has done over in Finland, apply it to the National Hockey League, get his work boots on and start grinding from there and see if he can adapt to North America. I mean, this is like, this is a scenario that I've never got. So the moment they drafted him, 
they they tried playing him in his rookie season, which was a huge mistake because you already had McDavid, you already had a budding star in Leon Draisaitl, and then you forced this guy into the lineup. You've done this with every other player in your organization, and it has clearly not worked out. Taylor Hall gone, Jordan Eberle gone, Nail Yakupov gone. You know, there's murmurs about them trying to trade uh, Nugent Hopkins, who they signed at $6 million per season. This is not a situation that's, you know, you want to really, you know, guide this guy into the right role in your organization. He was a top three pick for you. Or a top four pick. He went fourth overall in the, uh, and I believe the 2016 draft. But he's still young. He's like 21, 22 years old. He has time. You try and force him and you try and make this kid uncomfortable. And I just, I thought at one point that he was guaranteed to be traded. He was not coming back to Edmonton. And now they're going to bring him back next year and and put him in a, in a top nine role. And they're going to go from there. I just, I, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen with that player, with that organization. If, if they are, they're going to give him an opportunity to play on this team. I, I solely believe that this is his last shot. That this is the final straw in, in, in his tenure with the team. And if he doesn't work out, he's going to get traded. And they're probably not going to get the value that they wanted had they tried to trade him a little bit earlier on in his uh, in his career. So interesting stuff right there out of, uh, out of uh, Edmonton. And last story here involving the Montreal Canadiens and one of the big ticket wingers for this upcoming unrestricted free agency. As TSN's Darren Dreger seems to think that there is a mutual interest and fit between the Montreal Canadiens and pending free agent Taylor Hall. He noted uh, this past week saying, if we talk about destinations, I can certainly build a case for the Montreal Canadiens. I really can. He's saying that the Canadiens are in need of a scoring winger and Hall's affinity for playing in bigger markets. He said he definitely enjoyed his time in Edmonton. He's not afraid of the, of the media or all of those things. He also went on to mention, too, that like I mentioned last episode in the podcast, that Hall and the Coyotes do continue to talk and that the team did make a pitch for him this past Wednesday or waiting a counteroffer from the Hall front. Apparently, it doesn't sound like that deal is really all that close to getting done. Very interesting stuff there because like I said earlier, with the punishment that was dished out by the NHL to Arizona, they lost their first round pick, were fined $250,000 per incident, I believe a second round pick the following year. The way the trade worked out when Arizona initially acquired him from the New Jersey Devils, if Taylor Hall re-signed with the team before he became a free agent, they would owe New Jersey another first round pick meaning that their first-round picks for the next two years, if they decide to keep Taylor Hall, are gone. I don't understand the reasoning as to why Arizona's trying to bring him back. You know, it's not like this is a team that's going to spend to the cap anyways. And, you know, it, to, to be fair and, you know, not to be harsh to Taylor Hall, but he wasn't really the guy that pushed Arizona over the edge, you know, when they got basically annihilated in their uh, in their first round. I'm very curious as to see what is going to happen with, uh, I'm just curious as I just, I can't wait to keep tabs on Arizona moving forward because there are so many major storylines surrounding this team in the next month and a half, two months. It's going to be fun to see the way everything unfolds. You know, do they plan on keeping Taylor Hall? Uh, is he going to like get let go? Are they going to trade all of Reckman Larson? What's going to happen? How many times is this team going to get fined $250,000 for uh, testing players illegally without the NHL's, you know, acknowledgement of it? 
it is going to be very interesting. And and I assume too, if if you are an Arizona fan listening right now, uh, you know you're kind of nervous and you kind of have your arms up in the air and you don't really know what direction this team is going to go in, whether they're going to take a step back, they're going to try and build off of it. Are they going to keep Phil Kessel? You know, Darcy Kemper's a guy. He was a, he was one of your best goaltenders. Are you going to try and keep him? Are you going to trade Antti Ranta? Are you going to go with Ranta next year? There are just, there are so many question marks and, and balls up in the air with this organization. It'll be very interesting to see moving forward how they, uh, how they proceed. Uh, and, and with that, that is uh, that is it for episode four of the Second Thoughts podcast. Enjoy the conference finals matchups for the first few games. Uh, like I said earlier, I have Vegas uh, beating the Dallas Stars in seven. I've got Tampa over the Islanders in six. If you want to let me know your predictions, feel free to do so at Second Thoughts P on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again for following along. Make sure you do so on um, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify, wherever you get them. Thank you for listening. Until episode five, that's a wrap.